Hey, good morning. Happy spring forward. Did anyone else have their alarm feel just a good bit worse this morning? Oh, man, that's, that's tough. That was a tough one for me this morning. Well, uh, again, he said, uh, like he said, my name is uh, Dave Geldart, one of the pastors here. I'd love to meet you if I haven't. Uh, we are today continuing our series on rest. We've been going through series on rest. It's wonderful to rest, but it's so hard, at least for a lot of us. And we're coming down the home stretch on this resting part, so just a few left. Uh, just a reminder that you can uh, get on our website at mosaic mhk.com slash rule of life. Find a lot more resources about this, previous teachings, and uh, the rule of life workbook that we're working through together. So I encourage you to get there. Today, we're talking about limits, okay? So limits. So when I say limited, what comes to mind? Yes, you can shout it out. Limited time offer. Limited time offer. I like that. That's a positive connotation. I love it. What else? Limited, limited strengths. Am I hearing you right? No, I'm not hearing you right at all. It was really good what you said. Not enough. Yes. Can't go there. What was that? Limited edition. That's one that I had in my notes. That's the first one I thought of. Limited edition. That's right. Limited edition. I've got a limited edition uh, Keeley compressor guitar pedal that I like. It's pretty much probably just a different paint color, but I like it. Limited edition, so there's some positive connotations. Uh, limited edition, uh, maybe you thought of the limited clothing company. I don't know if that's still around. Is that still around? I don't think so. Okay, showing my age a little. Uh, small business owners may pr- uh, appreciate the limited in the LLC. Limited liability is a nice thing if you're the owner. And I imagine there's also some negative reactions. When I say limited, some of you said some negative things. Um, your options are limited. Oh man, that stinks. What else? Uh, I feel limited in my potential. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, limited in your travel. Sorry, you're, you're limited because of COVID or whatever else. Um, your relational satisfaction is limited. Uh, your credit is limited. Uh, your speed is limited. Some of you uh, may or may not actually be limited by the speed limits, but you're supposed to be limited. Uh, okay, so maybe you're like this. If you've got kids, like I do, if you say, do not hang on the fridge door handle, what are they going to do? They're going to do it. There's something about us that likes to push against these things. Uh, no uh, personal devices in your bedroom. What are they going to hide under their sheets? My old uh, I, uh, iPhone 4 that's still out there. Hey, it's this one right here. It kind of works. Um, don't climb on the car. There's going to be dents on the hood of my car. There's something about us that likes to push limits, right? There's something inside. So for me, I'm no different in high school. Uh, one of my friends at the time, uh, his name was Nate. His name still is Nate. <laughs> and I, uh, we both were out cruising like we did, uh, looking for something to do. And uh, we found this uh, road that kind of ended in a no trespassing sign and a cool path. And so um, we were in his uh, old uh, black 300ZX, T-tops off, enjoying life, and we looked at this, and we had a settled conviction that this limited sign, this sign of limitations, was not for us. So we went ahead and parked and kept on exploring, and then eventually we saw a sign on the, nailed to one of the trees that said, no trespassing, violators will be shot. And so we thought, that must mean there's something really cool back here, 
right? And so we kept exploring. We eventually found some really interesting stuff. This like, this, like uh, open field that looked like there was all these slag pits and different colored water and metals and some old machinery. Man, it was pretty sweet. It was just like we had hoped. We also found the opening to a cave, which we thought was also very cool. So uh, what we did was what most kids would probably do when you're in high school and you're really smart and your prefrontal cortex is still trying to form up. And we brought a bunch of kids from our youth group back the next weekend to find what we had found. And uh, we went into the cave with, uh, I think, one flashlight that was already getting low and kept going. And it's actually one of my better stories, what happened. Uh, It includes explosives, airplanes, uh, let's see, a guy chasing us with a assault rifle, missing cars, stolen signs, and lots and lots of police cars. You should ask me about it sometime. I'm serious. I'm not going to tell it right now. The point is that humans generally like to push against limits, right? We see a limit and there's something inside of us that wants to push past it, especially if we don't necessarily trust the limit giver, right? So what's a limit that you find yourself pushing against in your life? I'll give you a minute to think about it. We all have them. What's a limit you find yourself pushing against? To be fair, not all limits are meant to be respected, right? Some limits are meant to be broken through. So there, are, there is a, a number of categories here. Uh, some things uh, for you to become fully mature and complete and uh, whole as a person, you need to push through things like the limits that are put on you by sin, trauma, abuse. Man, you don't wanna respect those limits, right? You are limited and then you need to do your work with the help of others to push through so that you can not be limited in ways you're not supposed to be. Your insecurities, some of the limits of your understanding, education can help, right? These are good limits to push through. Exploration, endurance, and strength, to be sure. We're meant to push through some limits so that we can grow. But many of the limits that are placed on us are actually for our good, for our safety, for the safety of others. That is actually what speed limits are for, ideally. Um, And some of those limits that are meant for our good are also just a direct result of our humid, human limitedness. Our humanness is naturally limited. And we struggle sometimes to know the difference. Okay, I struggle a lot to know the difference. Is this a good one that I should blow past? Is this one that I should respect? Uh, Is it just a part of my limitedness as a human? Am I tired because... I just need to manage myself better or exercise more or eat better or be stronger? Or is it that there's a fundamental reality that my body needs sleep and I have not been giving it enough? Um, are you, am I driven to meet all of the needs around me that I can see because that's what I'm supposed to do and that's what God wants and you keep go, go, going? Or is there, a, are you actually over-functioning kind of desperately trying to get a sense of your own worth by constantly taking care of others. When there's a limit there, in truth, I'm only able to do so much. I can do some things, but not others. Um, All of us are limited in some degree by things like our personality, right? My personality is limiting. There's some things I'm good at, some things I'm not because of my personality. It's not necessarily a, a good or a bad thing. It's just the limits of my personality, my abilities, 
Some recharge by being alone and others recharge by being with people, right? Uh, Some have strong, healthy bodies. Others have limitations in their bodies because of the realities of age or disease or injury or just the reality of uh, the broken world we live in. And so to be human is to be limited, right? There's some limitations on our life just because we're human and it takes discernment. So next question is what happens when we violate our limitedness? And I'm just gonna specifically talk about today, we're gonna focus on our, the limits that are inherent in just being human. What happens when we violate those things? I experience fatigue, foggy brain, uh, anxiety, depression, insomnia. Uh, I think that you can also have relational brokenness, heart attack, death, <laughs> right? When you blow past your limits, I mean, that's the extreme, but our bodies break down, right? There's inherent limitedness. And if you don't um, respect that, there's side effects that come. Introverts, what happens when you don't get enough alone time after a while? Fatigue, foggy brain, irritability, heart attack, death, maybe not death. (laughs) Extroverts, what happens when you don't get time with friends to recharge? It's actually very similar, right? What if you don't eat healthily enough? Eat too much or too little? Your body doesn't work well, and you're actually able to do less. But our human limitedness, and this is kind of where we're going this morning, has more implications than just practical engagement with our personal lives and stuff like that. There's something deeper. So we're going to go ahead and uh, read a quote from uh, one of my favorite authors and pastor, uh, Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. He writes, how we choose to understand and respond to our limits goes to the core of our relationship with God. It's so foundational, in fact, that the evil one made limits a target of his strategy from the very beginning. Isn't that interesting to consider? The original sin of humanity was to not accept and to push against the limits, the good limits that God had set for us. When we had violated his limits. In the garden of paradise, God provided everything for them. They had it all. It was good. Everything was theirs. Let's go ahead and read Genesis 1. We go back to the beginning. Genesis 1, starting in verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, Adam. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you eat it, you'll certainly die. Thank you. Nice to know. It's really good. It's interesting that he intentionally put a limit right in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Seems like he had a good reason for it. Let's move on. Read a little bit more. In chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The reader will notice, actually, that's not what God said. He said, you can't eat from any tree except this one. Evil one's already starting to twist the limits and make them seem even more restrictive than they actually were. Let's keep going. You will not certainly die. 
The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, it's interesting. God had just said that he had uh, filled the garden with trees that were good for food and pleasing to the eye, except for this one. But she saw that one past the limit. That's the one I want. Um, It was also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took it, uh, some of it, and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They were partners in crime on this one. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. That's, That's a big letdown. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then right after that, you see, they start hiding from God. So Satan attacked Adam and Eve in the place of limits that God had given them. With the original lie that actually God, the limit giver, was not good and not to be trusted. And he was holding out on them. He tempted Adam and Eve to believe that the limits that God had set for them were actually harmful and that the good life was found just beyond those limits. And you can do it. And the good life is found by actually going there so that you can be like God. Probably not in the ways that uh, some of us think, phenomenal cosmic powers. I think what they wanted was the ability to do what they wanted, to decide what was good for themselves. And ever since that day, great woe, great woe has come. They fell and everything has gone sideways ever since. Yesterday, I was uh, with my son, Jack. He's seven years old. And uh, they liked uh, uh, to get one-on-one time with me, and I love it too. Something about uh, kids that leaps with me that we chat, chat, chat so much more when it's just us. So uh, he came with me to Target to return some stuff and buy some stuff. And then on the way home, uh, we decided, you know, it's almost time for dinner. Mom's cooking. Let's go buy Taco Bell, which is, of course, what you're supposed to do. Uh, And so we went by Taco Bell and we actually sat inside to eat, which was super special. And uh, my son has a a really fast mind. And if you can hang with it, he just, there's all sorts of interesting thoughts. And he said, dad, I wish I could do anything I wanted. I'm like, yeah, I get it. What What do you mean? He's like, God gets to do everything he wants. I was like, well, yeah, that's true. And he, uh, long story short, he said, or I, I think I said something like, yeah, only God is perfect and able to do what he wants and have it be good in every case. And he said, God's not always good, right? He can't be perfect. No one's always perfect. It's not fair that he gets to do what he wants and I can't do everything I want. And he, he didn't know I'm preaching on limits today. And I was like, oh man, that's such a frank kid version of what I feel deep down in my heart. And I'm a follower of Jesus, Right? right. How many of you can relate to that somewhere in your heart? It doesn't feel fair. You wish you could do whatever you wanted. It feels like maybe God's holding out on you. He's maybe not that good. Can't be trusted. It's easy for us to try to take the place of God, to take that step to be where we get to be the one who decides what we do, to do what we want. And even when you become a follower of Christ, that tendency, that impulse doesn't go away very quickly, 
right? Maybe, maybe you can relate to that. So when you start to follow Jesus, I mean, I wish it was like this. When you choose to recognize, and this is what following Jesus ultimately means, you choose to recognize, yeah, God, I am trying to do life on my own, and I'm willing to stop and to let you be God for me again. I'm willing to trust you. And at that moment, Jesus and his spirit come and live with you and you will never be alone again. And he starts this work in your life. There's an event that happens, but it's also this process where seemingly, usually it's slowly, slowly over time, he starts changing you from the inside out to become more like him and more like he intended us to be. But man, it takes time. And over time, those strategies that we've used to make life work, they come out and that's okay. And God helps us. And we begin to experience more victory as time goes on. But man, those struggles, man, they last a lot longer than we want, I think. So um, I can, I'll, maybe I'll get a little bit uh, vulnerable with myself uh, to give you a sense of this. So a, a, as a child, and looking back kind of with adult eyes when I think about my life, my story, one of the themes of my childhood is I felt uh, uh, bullied and felt like my world wasn't safe. We moved around a lot. I think there's a lot of things that filter into that. But I, I, I think that slowly, unconsciously over time, I decided I'm going to uh, make a strategy to make my life work. And I'm gonna do that by trying to keep my world in control because I can't trust it to be in control. So I gotta look out for myself. I have to protect myself from disaster. It's up to me. And so for me, it didn't move, uh, the control thing didn't really show up in terms of like trying to control other people. It was more like an internal kind of uh, fear, fretting kind of uh, control where I felt like I had to think through everything from every angle to stave off disaster. I wanted to appear like I was put together and right and not vulnerable so that others couldn't hurt me and I wouldn't have something unexpected come in and hurt But you know what happens when you do that? When you decide that it's up to me to protect me and you put the world on your own shoulders, the weight of it slowly crushes you over time. And you usually don't notice it, but it does. It slowly crushes you. And the cracks of fear and anxiety started to show. Um, It wasn't really until seminary, I went through seminary, that I started to see this for myself. I didn't even know it was happening. I think I've, got, I've made some progress, but that knee jerk in me to like find life, like to protect my life by controlling my environment, oh, that's still, that's still near and dear to me. Near, well, it's near and dear. Um, like Adam and Eve, we have a foundational revulsion against living within the limits God has set for us because we don't know if we can trust him. And for some of us, it's a safety concern like me. Uh, others, maybe a desire for freedom to determine your own path. You don't like to feel constrained in your choices. Uh, others uh, want to experience pleasures. All of those are very natural. But it's interesting that all of those things were available to us in the garden. Safety, freedom, pleasure. But instead of staying there, our ancestors decided, nah, there's something else. We got to get over there. And so we ended up scratching in the dirt outside the garden with the vultures circling overhead, trying to do life on our own. Or at least we're free right? At least we're unrestricted and self-determined, just like Adam and Eve. What are some ways that you still do this today? All of us do. What are some ways where you are still doing this today? Scratching in the dirt, desperately trying to do life on your own. 
where you're trying to operate beyond your limits and function like God. And how's that working for you? It's not meant to be a cute question. How's it working for you? One of my favorite things about the Bible is that Genesis 3, that's not the end. Everything's gone sideways, but the good news of the gospel comes through pretty strong. Let's look. Let's start. I'm going to look at five passages as we consider the reality of our limits and the reality that we try to live outside of them. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners outside the garden, scratching in the dust, still enemies of him, refusing to come his way, Christ came and he died for us. Colossians 2, starting in 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, referring to our need to try to make life work on our own, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and it condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Ephesians 1, starting in 4, in love, he, Christ, predestined us for adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship, that's actually a legal Roman term. Adoption to sonship. And uh, uh, those of us who, uh, who desire to lift up women and rightly so might say, oh, sonship. Actually, this is pretty amazing. Everyone knows probably that in their culture, strongly patriarchal, and the, and the full rights of inheritance went to the son, right? Jesus is saying, if you follow me and you come back in, I'm going to adopt you as, with all the rights that a son gets whether you're a man or woman, slave or free, you have full legal status as my son or daughter and all the rights that a son gets in our culture. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That's Christ. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. Is God lavish in your estimation when you think about him and his posture towards you? Is he lavish? Is he delighting in you? If he's not, check out that. Check out this word from him to you. We'll round it out here. Back in Romans chapter eight. For those who are led by the spirit, that's all those who have chosen to follow Christ. They are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. You ever live in fear again, like me? The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. There it is again. And by him, by the spirit of God who's now in us, we can now cry, Abba, Father. Abba means Papa. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
Now, if we are his children, then we are also his heirs. And this is the the part that blows my brain. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ of the whole kingdom of God. That is insane. I mean, when I stop and think about it, for me, to think that I am a co-heir of the kingdom of God with Christ, full adoption, that's insane. You don't have to live like an orphan anymore, Jesus says to you. He, come, he came near and he spoke to the people he was talking to and he speaks to us now through his word. And his spirit says to us, come. You don't have to live like an orphan anymore to live under the crushing weight of your sin, trying to make life work apart from God. You don't have to live like a sheep without a shepherd anymore. Anxious and malnourished, exposed to predators that nip away at your safety and take away your friends and your family in the night. God has come to save you. You don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to make life work. You're called into his family and he calls you a royal prince and a royal princess. We're his little sheep, his flock, protected and provided for by him within the safety of his limits for us. You know what happens when sheep don't know the safety of their pen and the voice of their uh, shepherd? They get anxious and the predators get them. Thank you so much for the limits that you've given us, God, if they're good, if they're trustworthy, if you're there providing for us and protecting us. Oh, thank you. Like the song we sang earlier, Psalm 23. It's one of the the passages in the Bible that I learned as a kid, and it's still with me. It might be one for you to memorize. Uh, If you want to memorize a whole chapter of the Bible, this is a great one. It's six verses, and and it's pretty popular. King David, who was once a shepherd, rejected by his family, not lifted up, mistreated by his brothers. He later became king, became God's anointed one. And reflecting on that, sitting in his palace, he remembered those days when he was just blowing kisses to God in the darkness of the night, protecting his sheep under the stars. And he wrote, the Lord, not me, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Maybe you need to close your eyes and hear this spoken over you. He makes me, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down good paths for his namesake. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your shepherd's rod and staff, the tools that he uses to protect from wild animals and to guide gently, limit their direction for their good. He restores our souls all the way down to our cores. And this morning, whether you know him or not, he beckons you into deeper places with him, even into the darker areas of your soul where you're afraid and where fear, where um, 
that tendency towards trying to make life work apart from him, it's that those parts of us that are deeper down where they're still functioning, where the door is shut and we're afraid to go there. He's Im- inviting us to go there with him. He will lead you gently. He'll open one door at a time. And especially with the help of trusted others, he wants to lead you to freedom, to pleasure, towards safety and goodness. So this morning, kind of the main idea is you are not God. There's a lot of ways that we can go with this talk on limits, lots of things we're not talking about. But the limit I want us to hear this morning is that God says, you're not God. And it's a beautiful letdown. It's a beautiful letdown. Like a child that's fussing, 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 arching its back, crying, punching, and then it eventually gives up and is able to rest and snuggle into its parents' arms, right? I think that that's what God is inviting us into because rest is inherently about embracing good limits. Maybe that's the one thing you need to write down. Rest is inherently about embracing good limits. To start with, I am not God. He is untiring. I am not. He is all-knowing. I am not. He's everywhere. He can do all things. I am not. He's provider. Maybe that's the one you need to hear. He's provider for you. I am not. He is protector. I am not. He is the comforter of my soul. I am not. He is altogether right and true and good and trustworthy and loving. I am not. As There's a pastor, uh, Louis Giglio, that I've liked for a while. One of the things he said law, uh, stuck with me. He, he said, I am not, but I know I am. If you've uh, read the Bible or heard this before, I am is the name God picked for himself in the Old Testament when Moses was sent to get the people out of Egypt. And he says, well, what God should I tell them that they have sent me? And God said, I am. That's his chosen name for himself, Yahweh, I am. So if his name is I am, it must mean my name is I am not. Right? I am not God, but I know I am. I am not, but I know him, and he calls me beloved, and he's my daddy. For all those who call on his name, who are willing to accept his hand, accept his free gift of forgiveness and mercy, he gives the right to be called children of God, beloved. Or as Ben said last week, beloved mess, belovedness. I love that. That stuck with me. Beloved mess. Yeah, that's right. We are beloved. Once I let go trying to be I am, then I can really become who I am. Isn't that cool? To lay down. Many of you feel like Atlas. This is kind of our story. Atlas was a, a titan who led a revolt against Zeus. And he failed. And his punishment was instead of becoming the king of the heavens, he would have to carry the earth on his back. And it was a crushing weight. And in a way, that's what happened to you and me. We said, God, I want to do it. And God said, okay, 
if you're not going to say, thy will be done, I will, let, I will say to you, thy will be done. I'll let you have it. I'll let you carry the world, and it will crush you. Come back to me. Come back to me. You can't hold it up. You're not strong enough. I haven't given you that strength. Come to me. Jesus invites you. You who are tired, you who are tired, who have cracks showing, who are anxious, depressed, angry, hopeless, whatever, you who are tired, come, lay down, take off the world, lay them at his feet. He's the only one strong enough to carry it. It's exhausting trying to be God. No amount in the bank account's ever gonna be enough to feel safe. No amount of partying or pursuing pleasure is ever gonna be enough to feel safe and secure. And please, no amount of success or titles or children or friends or vacation will be enough. Come. The invitation as we end here is come, my friends. Come. Come to the one who wants to lift the worlds off your shoulders and give you rest. God is good. Let him recreate the Garden of Eden in your heart as we await for him to do it in our whole world. And the garden is coming back. For those who read the Bible at the end, Jesus is gonna come back, fill the earth with the garden, make all things new. And in the middle is going to be the tree of life, but not the tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil tree. That one's done. Christ was nailed to the cross on it and it's gone forever. Now it's the tree of life in a city. Oh, it's to come. So let's just finish briefly with a minute or two talking about how this might apply to our lives. What are some practical steps we might take with this? And rather than giving you, uh, like we've done in the, uh, some of the teachings in the series, give you a baseline and a stretch one, I thought with this one, it seems like it really varies based on where people are at. So I'd encourage you to pick one of these that feels like that would be a next step for you. Here's four of them. And ultimately, I kind of want you to recognize that all of the limits that we embrace are ultimately about helping us be more available for good works. We're able to actually bless and engage with others more when we embrace our healthy limits. It's, it feels counterintuitive, but all of this is also for others. Kind of cool. Start with taking care of your body. Consciously live within the limits of the body God has given you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. God wants to meet you in the limits of your body. Sleep, rest, nourishment, screen time, your personality, stages of life, capacities, time, whatever. Consciously embrace and meet God in the limits of your body and see what gifts he might have for you. Next, uh, practice the resting habits we've been talking about in this series. Sabbath, it's about limiting your work. Eliminating hurry is about limiting, or, uh, uh, what's the word? limiting your pace. Self-care is about discovering and attending to the limits of your body and your soul so it can flourish. Number three, pay attention to the patterns of thinking where you feel like you have to be in control. This one might have just been for me. Maybe one of you or two of you can understand what I'm talking about. Counter these thoughts that I have to be in control by reminding yourself that I am not God, but I know I am. I know who he is and I trust him. And then finally, practice saying no. Of all of these, that's probably my, one of my hardest. Practice saying no. Graciously, but firmly set limits on what you do, especially if you tend to be a fixer or a doer or a rescuer, right? Practice saying no. 
and living within the limits that God has given you. And let God perhaps be the answer for someone else. You don't have to be the answer for everyone else. Actually, you can't. So in closing, God wants to meet you in your limits and invite you to receive them as a gift. Come and rest. So we're gonna end with his words to the crowd many years ago, and he speaks them to us as well. Maybe picture Jesus uh, saying this to you right now. That's accurate. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my burden on you and learn from me for I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We pray with me. Jesus, help us to rest. Jesus, give us rest. I pray that you would speak to each of us right now and that your spirit would impress on us something, a gift of limits that you're wanting to invite us into. Lord, bring us rest. Thank you that we don't have to be God and that we can trust you. Amen. Next week, uh, Josh is gonna teach us about apprenticing and we're gonna round out the resting series. And uh, we're gonna end as we have during this time with the Lord's Supper. Uh, For those who have chosen to trust God, maybe this morning for the first time you've chosen, actually, I want that. I wanna put my trust in God. That's great. We would rejoice with you. It's just as simple as telling him in your heart and praying and letting him know I'm, I'm ready to stop and let you take care of me. Please be my God. So uh, when the time is right, I invite you to come to the center aisles and you'll come down and receive uh, the bread and the juice that symbolize God's, uh, bro- or Christ's broken body and blood shed for us to bring us peace. Uh, there's also gonna be a gluten-free option if you're interested. And so as we do that, um, and then you can take it at your own pace, and I'd invite you to, uh, to remember, uh, but also to celebrate. It's really worth celebrating. And so let's transition to this time by reading the Lord's Prayer together. And I invite you to stand with us. All right, let's read. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This teaching was recorded by Mosaic Church in Manhattan, Kansas, where we're uniting people in the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit mosaicmhk.com.